Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I'm your host, Cindy Howes, and I am really having some serious allergies, so you might be able to tell that I sound kind of odd. If this is your first time listening, you're like, you sound totally normal. That's also awesome. Hello. Thanks for being here today. I'm excited about our guest, Caroline Cotter. Before we get into that, I want to talk about um, a couple ways that we can stay in touch. Uh, It's really important. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter, you can do that at basicfolk.com. There is a red sign up for the newsletter button. Uh, You can also check out the show notes for a link to sign up. That is the best way to stay in touch with Basic Folk. Once a month newsletter. You can also follow us on social media at Basic Folk Pod, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Check it out. We're also listener supported. If you're listening in real time, we are quietly kicking off our fall fundraiser and asking for your support. You can make a contribution no matter what time of year it is at basicfolk.com slash donate. There is also a link in the show notes for that. We're a listener funded podcast. Everything that we do made possible by our listeners. Thank you if you are a supporter. All right. Former trumpeter and anxious adventurer Caroline Cotter had been constantly on the move, performing hundreds of live shows since 2015. At the dawn of the pandemic, she had a full album in the can and ready to go. When the world shut down, so did she. She set her songs to the side and didn't pick up her guitar for a long while, She left her city of Portland, Maine, and headed even more north to the Acadia region and reconnected with nature, i.e. hugging as many trees and rocks as one woman can. Also during that time, she had the opportunity to sit with her shelved album. She discovered something amazing in that stillness. She, along with co-producer Alex Spiegelman, had made a fucking bomb record. She went forward with release plans, blew up her Kickstarter goal, and finally gave us her third album, Gently As I Go, this past August. In our conversation, Caroline talks about what she's like to work with in the studio. Hint, she is not a relaxed and calm dreamboat, as well as her relationship to rest. We also dig into her history, talking about how the ocean has remained a constant in her relationship to home. 
She has a reputation for being a globetrotter, which began in her travels to Thailand, Spain, and Portugal as an international educator. She quit her day job in 2015 to pursue music with a basically non-existent fan base. These days, Caroline's fans are many and they are dedicated. You don't find many independent musicians with such a devoted crowd as Caroline. They buy her music, they attend her shows, they put her up when she's in town. So hello, all you Cotter kickers. Hope this conversation does your favorite songwriter justice. I'm excited for you to hear this one with my pal, Caroline Cotter. This is from her new album. We'll listen to a little bit of The Year of the Wrecking Ball, and then we'll get to our conversation with Caroline Cotter on Basic Folk. Open the door to the old brick house. Thank you so much for being on Basic Folk. This is, are you ready to party? This is going to be fun. I'm, I'm ready to party, Cindy. Okay, great. Okay, um, let's start at the very beginning of your life. You grew up in Rhode Island, where I your did. dad's family is from. You live in Maine, where your mom's family is from. So you say that both places have always felt like home. How do you feel both of those places influencing you no matter where you are? Ah, uh, the... Ocean. The ocean is such a big part of what feels like home to me. And I realized that when I started moving around, I noticed that I was moving to places that were close to the ocean, close to water. And then somewhere in my mid-20s, I moved to Colorado. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, this doesn't, this doesn't do it. <laughs> too far. I got to go. <laughs> yeah, too far. Yeah. And, and New England has got history and a little bit of like industrial grunge, at least Providence does, that that I feel like feels like home and suits me. And I've, I've noticed that I seek that out in other places that I've lived or that I enjoy traveling to. Cool. I remember you came to Pittsburgh when I was in Pittsburgh. And I feel like this city has a lot of grunge that you might be into. I'm pretty into Pittsburgh. I yeah. actually just drove through there. And on my way out of Pittsburgh, I was like, Cindy, oh, man. Send and me I, a wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll come back through. So I will when I come back through. Cool. Okay. Yeah. You are a world traveler and have been most of your life. You took a job teaching in foreign countries for nine years and have been touring around the world since 2011? Um, so with my music, I've been traveling since 2015. And before that, I was working in different, different jobs in international education, um, really from like 2006 to when I quit my last day job in 2015. Mm, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So when thinking about you traveled so much for your 
work, moved around so much for your work, and with your touring, like some people never go anywhere. But for you, like why is traveling, touring, and moving around so important? I have been trying to figure this out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I, I was able to get pretty comfy during the pandemic. It took a while. It took maybe a year. But I was able to just settle in, enjoy home, and feel like, yeah, maybe I don't need to move around so much. Mm. But before that, I think it becomes a little bit addictive in, in this way where it's just like some variety, variety and, and mm -hmm. new people and new thing, always something to learn. I'm um, an ex experiential learner. <laughs> so mm. I, I really need that new environment and constant engagement with new things to really learn anything, I guess. I have a theory. And you can tell me I'm wrong. Mm. Um, and if you don't want to go here, that's totally fine, too. So mm -hmm. I read that you were diagnosed with ADD as a kid. Oh, yeah. And you have talked about living with anxiety. Mm -hmm. So like, I wonder if that translates to your comfort with like always moving, always traveling around. So how do you see that side of you impacting your life? Like maybe it makes it easier or harder to be a touring musician? I think it probably makes it easier to be a touring musician because because of that because I I do well with constant movement and and also I'll, I'll say that a lot of my adult life has been both moving around and also studying meditation and yoga and holistic ways to deal with anxiety and ADD and just this this need to constantly be on the move so there there have been times when I've made myself be in one place um, for the purpose of just seeing if I can do it, you know, dealing just these like 10 day silent meditation courses. That's a party. Like that. that is, <laughs> you really haven't partied until you've sat in one place and not talked to anybody for 10 days. <laughs> so do you did that where you like sit cross-legged on the floor? Mm -hmm. But then does your back, like my back hurts thinking about that. Everything hurts. Everything hurts the the entire time. I mean, gosh, yeah, I can't can't sell this retreat. This is not no. something that I would know. It's um something you've got to want really badly. Yeah, it's uh it's only it's if it calls to you, do mm. it, and if not, okay. don't do it. Yeah, that is really good advice. How does all your I don't know if this is a word. I think it is transiency, and I don't <laughs> I know, know if I'm pronouncing it. Yeah, that's yeah, all right. How does all your transiency mm -hmm, impact your feeling of home? How do you try to make the road feel like home? Uh, car picnics. We were just talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think visiting people, you know, um, I'm in a hotel right now, but it is very rare that I stay in hotels. I, I even for this conference, um, I'm sharing a room with another musician and I just, I like being in close contact with people. I like my alone time. I get plenty of it when I'm driving. But the other night I, I stopped in and stayed with a host who had hosted me for a show five years ago. And I hadn't seen him since then. And he was very kind to just let me come crash. I really appreciate it. I, I Yes, I do it for budget reasons, but I also do it because it's nice to have people to have dinner with. And I don't want to eat dinner alone. And it's it's nice to just 
visit. So yeah, a lot of my a lot of my travels, I'm staying with house concert hosts or friends or family. I keep up with a lot of people because I'm constantly on the move. So that to me makes it feel like home if I've got somebody that I can just visit with. You've hosted me in the past, yeah. and I so appreciate that. Yeah, that that's kind of it. It's just being a, a house guest and a friend, and that that to me is all that that is home. Quick story. Road, I guess. Uh, I was thinking about this today. You came and stayed with me, uh, with Emily Muir. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Emily did not have a cat yet. And she is like the person I've met in my life who didn't have a cat, who needed a cat so much. (laughs) And I had a cat and she's a wonderful cat. And Emily was like, I am into this cat. And so like at my house, I was staying at my partner's house so that you you, could just have the run of the house and so I was saying to my partner's house I was like listen like this kitchen door can shut but um you can leave it open if you want the cat to go upstairs and I remember like you shot this look at like Emily shot this look she was like I want the cat to go upstairs and you were like ah. <laughs> it was funny that's a funny story she does have a cat now she also has a dog have you seen her little puppy it's so oh, cute. right yeah oh good she should have yeah. a thousand animals mm-hmm. she's like snow white the folk Snow White. <laughs> okay. Snow White. All right. We're going to talk about you playing trumpet. Just kidding. Um, we yeah. are going to talk about music in your house growing up. Um, it yeah. was really there. Like everybody played piano, sang in church, at school, in the school band. That's where you played trumpet. Um, you also spent a lot of time listening to music on your family record player. How did your family treat music? Like what was its purpose in your family? Well, I think togetherness, camaraderie, and um, it gave me a lot of alone time as well. I mean, I am the youngest and my siblings are four and a half and six years older than I am. And I, I, I just recall sitting alone a lot listening to music. It was nice to have to have that alone time and be able to pick out the records that I wanted to listen to. And I would sit at the piano and play along. But yeah, I think my my grandmother was adamant that we would all play piano. Um, so she paid for the piano lessons and I got them earlier than my siblings because they had been playing already. And then I showed interest and long before anybody recommends putting a child in piano lessons, I was, I was in piano lessons. And then of course, because my grandmother was paying for them every time my grandparents came over, we were to like perform for them. Recital time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So I think there was sort of a performance element from the beginning in our family in that respect. Uh, Your older brother, Damon, who is four and a half years older, which is the same age difference as me and my brother, which is like crucial age difference where it's like so close yet so far away. So Damon started playing guitar which got you interested in learning too. So you were in middle school, he was in high school. What was your relationship with your brothers and also your sister's interests previously? And why did the guitar attract you so much? I think both of their taste in music was really influential for me. I I shared a room with my sister for a long time. And I just have beautiful memories of us dancing on our beds to uh, the Indigo Girls and Madonna and Natalie Merchant and Tori Amos and um, quite a lineup. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then my um, my brother was really into the Grateful Dead and introduced me to that music and fish. He was um, really into fish and got me into fish. And I think I just I just really appreciated the the music that they listened to. And um, when my 
when my brother started playing the guitar, I think we both noticed how the music that we were attracted to was a little more guitar-based than than piano-based, maybe. And mm-hmm. we had all grown up playing the piano. And um, just for ease of singing along and playing these these songs that we love, Tom Petty was a big one in the house, Paul Simon. We started gravitating towards the guitar just um, as a accompaniment for singing mm. and playing the songs that we loved. Hmm. Your singing voice is so beautiful. Um, It is a lovely soprano. Uh, It is a voice that is like primed for folk music, singing about your feelings and singing about deep thoughts and lonesome thoughts. Okay, I can sing soprano and I don't like it. I Mm. would rather not. Um, But I want to hear your relationship with your voice. Like, have you always sang this high? Like, what do you think about a soprano voice, and what do you think about your voice? Yeah, I somebody somebody else wrote that about my soprano voice, and so that's not even something that I identify with as much as just you don't identify you know, as a soprano. Well, I've I've sing when I I'll, I'll tell you what when I sing in choirs and choruses, I am such a lazy musician and singer that I always. I can sing soprano, and so I do because it's the melody typically. And mm-hmm. anybody in a in a choir or chorus will tell you and make fun of the sopranos for that reason because we because um, they're lazy tend, because they're lazy <laughs> <laughs> lazy singers who just want the melody. Yes, so that's um, that's my not so short answer. But I think I th- I don't know. I I think I just sing in the voice that comes out. And what I will say is that the songs that I write. I write for my voice and when I try and sing other music, it doesn't always work as well. Um, oh yeah. That's, yeah. That's definitely something that I've noticed the more that I write music. And um, when I go back to sing cover songs, I'm like, all right, well, I'll just keep singing my songs. Does that do, like, so do you take your voice and do you ever co-write and like, do you take your voice into account in that situation? I haven't done a lot of co-writing. Um, not enough. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think interesting though. Because is Emily also, Emily is an alto. She is. Alto. Yeah. Alto. Alto. So you guys should get together and just like, I mean, she's probably going to listen to this episode. So she would know that we were (laughs) planting. It was a plant to see if she would be like, no, sing it this way. Well, also we, established that you're not a soprano because actually I was listening to your record and watching your videos and I was like this seems like she doesn't have a soprano voice it seems like maybe she just like has like um like a high timber in your voice that's probably a good way to describe it and Emily and I have done a lot of singing together and um I've I've recorded on her albums and so she has directed me in how to sing because um well, not on my own recordings, but on hers where I sing harmony. Um, mm. She's she's done a great job at, at directing different lines that she wants me to do. Also, Emily was on Basic Folk. So if anybody's listening and they're like, who's Emily? Go listen to that Basic Folk episode. It was like a couple of years ago and it was really great. I think I've She makes like, beautiful music. Yeah. And I like cried through the whole thing because she's so mm. wise. Mm. Um, okay. 
you got your own guitar when you were in high school. You went to college in Maine. I couldn't mm. find any info about this. So like, what were you studying in Maine in college and what did music look like for you then? I thought that I wanted to be a music and art double major. And then I realized what that would entail. And I decided I wanted to keep music fun. Yeah, I was going to say, does that entail <laughs> sucking the fun out of everything? Yes, <laughs> turns out it does. <laughs> turns out, or at least at this school it did. It seemed to, whatever. It was just, um, I took one look at it and said, no, thank you. I will um, just study art. And I, I was an education mm. and Spanish minor. I uh, figured I could at some point teach and um, maybe live in other countries where I could use the Spanish and, and um, turns out that all of that, that was quite useful. Um, Great. Yeah, Are you but still uh, fluent in Spanish? I, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. You yeah. know, I don't have um, daily reason to use it, but um, I spent years after college as well, um, getting mm. better and more fluent. I lived in Spain for a year and a half and, um, and that, that obviously really helped. Um, but it's been a while and I went to Mexico most recently, um, in the, uh, last fall. So about a year ago I went to Mexico and was so grateful for all of those years that I had an energy that I put into learning Spanish just, um, because it is so nice to go somewhere and, and be able to yeah. um, just have like normal conversations with people um, in a place like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful I for that. sound like a three year old when I try to speak Spanish. <laughs> it's great. Um, you started writing songs after you began working abroad in your early 20s. So, what sparked your writing and how do you still feel connected to your original interest in songwriting? Obviously, you are a songwriter, so you are still interested in it. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I noticed that I journaled a lot during that time. Um, I think because I was living so far away from anybody. Um, that I had grown up with. I, I lived in Thailand for the year after college and it was just one of these things where I, I went by myself. Um, I was 22 years old at the time and uh, it was, it was character building and it mm. was lonely and um, I journaled a lot and I noticed there and, um, and in all the years after in all of my journaling I would write in rhyme and, uh, and that just became songs. I've, I've always loved to play and sing. Oh, that's and, convenient. Yeah. <laughs> convenient and weird. I'm like, okay, yeah. just, just drop the, the meter. Like, <laughs> yeah. I wrote no my to journal to a, a click track. <laughs> exactly. You wrote and recorded songs for eight years while you were still working your day job and then you finally mm -hmm. decided to let go of that job to tour full-time and and I think this was in 2015 when you did mm -hmm. that what was that decision like and how did your life change on like a day-to-day -day level yeah it was terrifying I um I I took a good nine months to make that decision I was I was 30 at the time and a lot of the people in my life around me were getting promotions or getting married or having babies or buying a house. And it felt like this real, um, 
cultural no-no to quit my job and leave my apartment and um, start playing folk songs to people in different places. I was just like this really bizarre um, choice, life choice that I made. And yet um, I stuck with it. And um, yeah, the life was very different. It was the difference between living in Portland, Maine and riding my bike or walking to work every day, working from nine to five. And then um, in those days, I would teach yoga after work or um, play any number of shows or with other musicians around town. Um, So it was a very full life. This was like um, in my late 20s in in Portland. And then after that, it continued to be full, but in a very different way where I just um, dedicated my life to uh, booking and, and playing shows and traveling and um, meeting other folk musicians and um, collaborating. So hmm. it was, it was, it was very different, um, but just as full. I imagine just knowing about um, anxiety. I also have anxiety and uh, I like, if I'm um, given a new task, I like just kill it you know I like go into it head first like almost too much mm-hmm. um do you know what I mean like you just obsess over that every sounds great I yeah. yeah no I don't I don't know if I share in that it sounds like a good problem to have Cindy I don't know well enough about me <laughs> um okay I wanted to talk about your fans because they seem pretty awesome like you quit your day job. You didn't have much of a fan base. Fast forward to present day. Your fans are so supportive. Um, and I feel like I really get a sense that they like really actually care about you and are like protective about you in a sweet way. Um, from what I can see, they're like the best kind of music fans. So one example is that you made your most recent Kickstarter goal in eight days and they kept supporting you and then you like super exceeded your goal. And I don't want this to be like a like a softball question, like tell me how great your fans are, but they seem like really special. And I'd like to know your opinion of that observation as well as like, how did you cultivate that particular type of fan base? And the other question is like, do you think you deserve these types of fans? Hmm. I I think that it comes from a very slow building and just that like for those five years. And and of course I was playing shows before those five years of full-time touring as well. And I had been, um, as you said, writing and, and performing for eight or nine years before that even. But um, I was so surprised when that Kickstarter did as well as it did as quickly as it did. Um, and as I reached out to people to thank them, I learned more about who they are. Um, I mean, some of them were obvious to me, um, people that I've known for years, but, um, but some of them were, were people that I didn't recognize. And so when I reached out and found out how they had heard me or when they had heard me and and how they joined my email list or started following me on social media, um, it was really beautiful to find out that it was um, just such a wide variety of places where we connected. I mean, I played a stupid amount of shows for... (laughs) For so long. And and they were some were absolutely wonderful and some maybe most at this point looking back on it were so unglamorous. And mm-hmm. um 
and I, I just was grateful for the opportunity to connect with people, to share what I was up to, um, just to sing for people. And so I think that, um, in all of those days driving 10 hours to get to some cafe in, um, Michigan, for instance, to uh, then go and play uh, some house concert or bar or whatever it was um, in the next state over. It was just that kind of um, very slow building of and and just meeting people and staying with people. I mean, that's the other thing. I I didn't I never slept in my car. Um, I was I was, I think I stayed in like three hotels in the five years that I was on the road. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was just a, a lot of years of connecting um, Mm -hmm. pretty intimately with people, whether I play such small venues that really every concert is pretty intimate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're so, do do you know the musician Tom Rush? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He has like a very similar type of fan base as you do. But the mm-hmm. difference is, is that like his generation of musicians, like he was like famous, you know, like Joni Mitchell covered his song mm-hmm. and but he's been able to like maintain that type of fan base. But it's just so impressive that like you're an independent artist and you have these like super awesome fans. Anyways, mm-hmm. I just notice it. They're great. Cool. Well, thanks. Uh, When the pandemic hit, you were thinking about releasing this new album that you actually just released, but you didn't. You set it aside, you pivoted, you did other things, you moved north right by Acadia Park in Maine, you reconnected with nature. While this was all happening, what was your relationship to music and how did it change? I didn't pick up my guitar for a long time. Um, I was pretty stuck feeling and, um, pretty depressed, just very bummed for a long time. And Mm. I, I, I know I'm not alone in that. We were experiencing, um, some wild stuff all around us everywhere. So it was, um, it was a time where I, a lot of people I think felt inspired. I did not feel inspired. I felt, um, like I just wanted to hug trees and rocks and, um, (laughs) chop wood and, uh, dig in the garden and be in the ocean. And, um, yeah, just, I think there, there were opportunities where I was playing music and it was because people reached out to me and asked if I would do something on a zoom or, um, or on Facebook or whatever it was, you know? Um, but, I certainly wasn't hustling during that time the way I was before, before the pandemic. I was just um, laying low and, and doing anything that anybody asked me to do. But um, eventually I started teaching, and that was something that allowed me to maintain a connection with all of these people that I had met on the road in previous years. And so when I started offering beginner guitar, beginner ukulele, and songwriting lessons, private lessons online, I had an amazing group of students that I met with on a weekly basis. And um, I worked with every decade 
of ages from like three to 75. I had students in all years in between and, um, and all over the world as well. There's people in Europe and Canada and New Orleans, Tennessee. It was, it was, it was great. So it kept me engaging in music. Um, I wrote here and there, but with the music that I, the recording that I'd been sitting on, I was feeling pretty unmotivated to write, um, even then. Okay, this question is a little heady, so mm-hmm. get ready to crank up the party vibe. Okay. You've talked about songwriting as a tool to shift you and get out the ickiness. Mm. And you've said that seeing new things and connecting with people also helps because I can get so deep into my own head. And the second I start a conversation with somebody else, it's not about me anymore. Mm-hmm. So can you? Explain what it's like to have yourself pulled out of yourself, whether it be from writing other people or new experiences. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, there was a comedian at one point that was talking about uh, leaving the house and forgetting the um, earbuds and then not being able to listen to music while they were walking around the city and like how terrifying that was to be with their own thoughts. You know, just not having the distraction of the music. And I, I just, um, you know, that's, that's real. That's, that's why I think I've, I've gone so far down this road of, um, studying meditation and, and yoga and mental health. And, um, it's, I, I just writing, it does, it gets it out. It makes me feel like, um, like it's not trapped as much anymore Mm. um, because there's this, there's this loop, there's this um, spiraling and, you know, not careful. It spirals down. And um, anytime, you know, this morning I was uh, last night, I did a house concert in South Bend and woke up with just worry, just this like crazy worry loop. And um, all I had to do was go downstairs, say hello to the folks that hosted me um, and I was just snap out of it, you know, just had a lovely breakfast conversation with these people and um, was able to get out of my crazy, unnecessary, um, unfounded worry loop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I just recently started watching The Good Wife, mm. uh, which is a wonderful program if you have not seen it with Julianne Margulies. Okay. And she goes through this terrible thing where, like, the show opens and her husband is, like, a, um, an ousted attorney general of Chicago who's, like, cheated, been cheating on her for years with, like, sex workers and all that. Mm-hmm. And she is, like, a lawyer at a firm now. And she is, like, talking to a client whose, like, world is falling apart. And she's, like, you need to focus on the um oh like shallow things that shallow wasn't the word she was using like the the material things you know just like take a bath like small comforts Mm -hmm. you know that kind of stuff so it sounds like very similar yeah i hope you enjoyed my synopsis of the good wife check it out i can't wait to watch it now (laughs) (laughs) you'll recognize everyone in it but you don't know their names okay (laughs) okay the new record, Gently mm-hmm. As I Go. Okay, um, you. here's a quote from you. I recorded them in the winter of 2019-2020. Things changed. 
I'm sharing these songs because the message interwoven throughout the album is don't give up, and when you lose steam, just take a rest. Here's the question. What has been your relationship to rest? Good question. Um, I don't I don't love to rest, Cindy. <laughs> and um, the pandemic was like a forced, like you will, you will yeah. stop moving. And, um, and then recently, um, gosh, recently I had just another like um, in for universal enforcement of resting where I had this crazy um, emergency knee surgery, um, mid July. And, and so again, I was just like, oh, it was almost like another quarantine. I just, I was in one place, couldn't move for six weeks off of my feet on crutches, but, um, and then my car broke down and I just didn't have a car for five weeks. And so it was just this like crazy immobility, um, joke trick. I don't right. know what it was, but it's cosmic. Um, it's a cosmic exactly. joke. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's super funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so all that to say, I think that um, my, I know, I know that my work is to figure out uh, how to rest well and how to balance um, this need for movement and activity with something that feels good and restful, not just like crazy, I'm stuck in one place, get me out of here. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Quote, unquote, <laughs> rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these songs you've been playing for five years, um, and I don't know if you used the recordings that you and Alec made in 2019, 2020, but that's a long time to sit with songs, to play them live, to get to know them. What is like your relationship with these songs? Like how have they changed in their meaning for you? Mm. Um, somehow, somehow they still resonate, which I feel really grateful for. Um, oh, they must be good songs. <laughs> uh, well, let's see the, 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 the title track is, um, yeah, it's a it's a letting go song, and I just feel like there's been so much need for letting go um, for me personally, and I think for um, a lot of people in the past past few years. Um, there's another song that I wrote in this like deep feeling of helplessness, and gosh, that was that was a feeling that came up a lot in the past few years, oh, and yeah. continues to to um, permeate the. Um, the the vibe of our daily lives, at least mine. Um, yeah, there's there's a, a song about travel, which, funnily enough, you know, really was like the one that that stopped resonating. I was like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but but still, is a timestamp. It's a timestamp and a and a lovely memory from those years of of touring. And I'm in Chicago now and and not home, and just spent the past week going from place to place to place to get out here. So I'm doing it again. And, um, yeah, there's, there's songs about procrastination, creativity, feeling stuck. Um, there's songs about 
nostalgia. So there, for me, it's, it's all, it, yeah, it continues to feel poignant enough. Mm. Mm-hmm. The Year of the Wrecking Ball is a really special song um, about letting go of your childhood home after your parents split up and sold it when you were 20, mm. um, which is not in the recent past. Mm. Um, it took you a little while to recognize how the whole act impacted you. Why do you think it took so long? And when you started to process this through song, what did that feel like for you? Mm, I think at at 20, you want to really think that you're independent, grown up, out of the house. Um, Still on your parents' car insurance. <laughs> <laughs> right. And health insurance at that yes. point, right? Thanks, Obama. So, right, exactly. So there's... Um, there's this this feeling of of independence, but you, you, as you get older, realize that at 20 you're still just a kid, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my family's super supportive, and um, we all have always gotten along really well, and and have nice, open, honest relationships. Um, for me, at this time, I because I'm the youngest, my my siblings really were out of the house. I mean, they, at that point, um, had made homes in other places. And I was still just in the middle of my college years, not sure where I was going or what I was doing. And it was like coming, coming back to my parents' house during the summer or on any holiday. Um, but still wanting to feel like, um, like it was okay that they were doing this and I'm an adult and I can handle it. And so for, just for many pack years, that away in a little box <laughs> <laughs> deep inside. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, I think it, it had a lot to do with my traveling. I think I, I, um, did a couple of different study abroad experiences when I was in college and, um, met some influential characters out in the world who, um, had taken a different path in life and gave me some different perspective and made me realize that, okay, not everybody does get married and have a home that they pay a mortgage on for 30 years. Um, and it was, it was just a different, a different way of seeing possibility and opportunity. Um, so for years I, I followed a different path and, um, and, took that opportunity of, of having to let go of that home and, and probably that childhood dream of having a similar life to my parents, um, and just making my own way. Um, but when I reflect on my childhood home, um, there is a lot of, uh, yeah, that, that idea of as a child thinking that this is what I wanted and then seeing it in that moment fall apart. I think there, there's a heartbreak there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. This album was produced by you and one of my favorites, Alex Spiegelman, who yeah. is making folk music weird. <laughs> he has been... Thank goodness. Yeah, totally. He has been on the podcast before and produced mm-hmm. some great albums from David Wax Museum, Anna Eggie. Sadie Gustafsson Zook. 
you said about Alec, you said Alec is a great friend in the sense that he helped to keep me feeling relaxed during a process that typically gives me a lot of, say it with me, anxiety. Anxiety, yeah. The anxiety wasn't gone, but Alec has a way of staying positive and relaxed himself, and that sets a great tone. Caroline, what are you like to work with in the studio? I'm probably awful. I have no idea. I mean, I, I don't like working with myself in the studio. So maybe we should get Alec over here to, to I, I don't know. Emily has been a great support as well in the studio. Um, yeah, I think I think that I, I worry too much. I really wish that I didn't worry so much. But, um, but having somebody like Alec who just knows what he's doing um, – it, it feels really good. It's just a nice boosting of confidence and morale. You know, mm. he's, he's just, um, stays in good spirits and is encouraging. And, um, yeah, I, I think that I, I suffer from like just perpetual dissatisfaction. Um, mm. it's not a lot of fun. And it's a I, dissatisfaction. It's not like imposter syndrome or anything both. like that. Oh, both. Oh, oh, for right. sure. Oh, all yeah. right. Okay. Just get all of our bases covered here. <laughs> great yeah yeah but um yeah I, I I would love to be like yeah that was a good take but instead I'm like yeah it's all right let's move on <laughs> I think it's cool when uh musicians like dig their own like not too much obviously but like mm -hmm. I remember my friend Rose was telling me she was talking to um Richard Buckner who's this really great songwriter and she was like oh I really love that song um uh, little wallet picture and he's like oh yeah isn't that a great little song you know and I was like whoa like I mean she told me that story like 20 years ago and I still remember it yeah it's well, like very I, endearing what I will say is that um the longer that I lived with these songs the more I grew to like them so I'm mm. glad that I had this time because I was feeling pretty unsure indifferent ambivalent about the whole process um and and the recording and gosh I spent hours on the phone with, with Emily and with Alec, just feeling like, I don't, I don't know you guys. I don't know if the mix is right. I don't know. And the longer that I just sat on the project, um, they grew on me and, mm. um, I feel grateful for that because now I can listen to them and there's no cringe factor, um, that existed previously. So, um, somehow that, yeah, it's, yeah, they've, they've grown on me. I'm getting a good I way. Think um, Alec has his uh, touches all over the album, mm. including I think when you first, when you when the when you first press play, there's like it's like you, but you're like a disembodied voice, mm. and I was like, oh, this is an Alec Spiegelman production. Um, also, he has horns all over the record, and they sound lovely. Mm. Did you play any trumpet on this record? Oh, no, that would have been cool. I did not. Uh, next time. <laughs> next Do you still time. play trumpet? No. Oh, well, you have to relearn. But, yeah. Uh, so, all right, I want to talk about this knee surgery thing. Is that all right? Um, yeah, okay. sure. Yeah. Um, you have been on the road to recovery for the past four or five months. In July, your torn meniscus Ooh, got caught in your joint and your mm. knee locked up. Ah, mm -hmm. my wife has issues with her um, meniscus and uh, what's the other thing? It's like a knee thing that she has problems with. She's listening right now and yelling at me about what it is. But she had to have surgery too, so it's like 
her surgery um, was not as bad as it could have been, but it sounds like yours was like emergency, unexpected, and then you have like four to six months of reco- uh, recovery. Um, so right around your album release, you got your brace off, like you were in a locked brace for mm-hmm. how long? I had that on for a month and, and wasn't allowed to put any weight on my leg, my foot, um, for, for a whole which month. Foot, which foot was it? Um, it's the left knee. Okay. So it wasn't your driving foot, but then your car broke down. No, then... yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the minute that I was off of crutches, Cindy, it was, oh. the, car, the car stopped working. So, um, no, but it's, it's a funny thing to be on crutches for so long and not be able to put any weight on, on that one leg. I mean, things like, um, to go coffee, not a thing. Yeah. Right. You know, just, just like all stay. these yeah, doors are heavy. You don't realize how heavy they are until you are on crutches and one leg. Um, there's just a, a lot that I didn't. Yeah. Realize. It sounds like, it sounds like you have come to appreciate a lot of things about yourself and about the world that you didn't realize before. <laughs> forced into realizing yes it's it's all good ah well i'm glad you're walking building are you walking around again i am i am yes i haven't been on crutches for a bit now so yes yeah are you ready to do some scottish dancing in the highlands (laughs) yeah that's right um i think by next july i will be back to um the scottish dancing that i've never done (laughs) great (laughs) Yeah, so you co-hosted a 10-day trip Mm -hmm. to Scotland with this group called Scotland Folk Tours, and you're doing this again where you tour the country with a small group, and you go with a tour guide, and then you play concerts, and it sounds so fun. Um, What was surprising to you about experiencing a country in this format? I have traveled to so many different places by myself. Um, sometimes with a touring partner, but a lot of my travels have been alone and there's just something so beautiful about sharing an epic new experience with a larger group of people, not a huge group of people, but 10, 10 to 12 was a really great size. Um, my mother came along and that so was fun. lovely. Yeah, it was, it was really special. Um, we had local Scottish guides. So, um, you know, there's there's no getting carsick reading through the guidebook. You've just got this. <laughs> um, you've got this. That um, is real. <laughs> driver who um, is just in his beautiful Scottish accent, telling us about the folklore and the countryside and the history. And um, it, it couldn't have been better. It was it was really magical. That's awesome. And people mm-hmm. can find out more about that at your website. And if they're interested, they better move fast because there's not lots of spots. Yes. And I'll just say that um, if I were any good at my job, you could find out about it on my website and I will change (laughs) that as quickly as possible. However, at this point, you can find out about it on um, Scotland Folk Tours website. (laughs) Okay, great. Retract (laughs) Scotland Folk Tours. I'll fix it as soon as possible. Um, Okay, Caroline, are you ready for the lightning round? Yes. All right. Here we go. What is your favorite Rhode Island treat? Mm, clam cakes. That was, there was no pause in between mm. there. <laughs> Who is your favorite trumpet player? Mm, Dietrich. 
Yes. <laughs> I was hoping. Uh, top three essential travel items. Mm, well, I'm. That's so funny. My PT stuff, which is so obnoxious, ah. but that's something that I have to say right now. Yeah, my my little like bands that I have to pull apart yeah. and strengthen myself with. Um, yeah, my picnic basket. I I always have to have some apples or something. And I'd say like a a jar of some kind. I found this beautiful flower farm where it was like a pick a you pick flower farm and it was cheaper without a jar. I just like having a jar so that I can collect flowers and and have them in the car and give Those them away. Those are whimsical answers. Mm, well, thank you, Cindy. Yes. What was the first song you learned on the guitar? Uncle John's Band. Ah, by your by your, uh, hippie, your hippie, hippie brother. brother yes. <laughs> Here's one for the guitar nerds. What is your favorite chord? Oh, um, gosh, maybe an F minor. Okay, great. <laughs> this question is dedicated to Issa Burke, who I think is always on uh, the search for the answer. How many shoes do you bring on tour and what are they? Great. So right now I've got a pair of boots that I'm performing in. I have a pair of sneakers and a pair of Birkenstock sandals. And I will say that that is... I, three, I think, is good. Sneakers, boots, sandals. I'm not into shoes. I'm not like a shoe person. Mm-hmm. So, and I just had knee surgery. So I'm like, you know, I, I was bare minimum. And also it's all about comfort and staying healthy, keeping my feet healthy. Do you wear socks with your Birkenstocks? Um, I, so I have the kind that have the toe loop. You can still do it. I could. If, yeah, so actually the toe loop maybe last year broke and I just cut it off. So I've got this design of Birkenstock sandals that don't exist besides my own because I have this, like, it's just these two skinny straps now, like one's to If anyone, if any of Caroline Cotter's fans are listening and want to purchase Caroline a new pair of Birkenstocks, <laughs> Listen, the lines are open. Great. And all I'm saying is that now I can wear socks with them because the toe loop's gone. All right. Okay. Best view in Maine. Mm, um, great head at Acadia National Park Sand Beach oh, to the left. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, mm-hmm. can't wait. I can't wait to so I'm moving to Maine. I know that. That's right. I had forgotten and now you're reminding me. Yes, and then I can't wait for you to show me around. Acadia. I can't wait for that either. It's one of my favorite things. It really is. Like I just keep thinking, I should just be a tour guide. Yeah. <laughs> but don't because your music's too good. Okay, thanks. This is the last question. It's very similar to that question, but um, it's not. Where is the most beautiful place in the world? Mm. So I, I will say Maine. That is one of the things that I've always said. But since you just asked me that question, uh, I won't. I won't say that. Um, one of the most beautiful places in the world. I, it's just the first thing that comes to mind because there's too many. The Alps, beautiful place. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But you know, there's there's a million beautiful places in this planet. Caroline Cotter, the new album, Gently As I Go. Thank you so much for being on Basic Folk. So nice to to have you on and talk to you. And I, I can't wait to party in real life. Yeah, thank you so much, Cindy. This is really, really nice to see you and be with you. And thanks for having me. Cool. This episode was produced by Anthony Cabrera. Hi, Anthony. Our music composed by Alex Stanton. You can find Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network, wherever you find podcasts, or you can look for us on the SiriusXM app, search under Basic Folk, 
You can also check out our website, basicfolk.com. If you enjoyed this episode, let me tell you, the best thing that you could possibly do is share it with a friend. That is the number one way that we get new listeners if you recommend it to a friend because you know what? You're really trustworthy. And if you sent this podcast to me, I would totally listen to it. Not because I know it's good because we made it together here at Basic Folk, but because I really trust you. Send this podcast to a friend. I like to suggest to send it to uh, professional acquaintances or friendly professionals that you have in your circle, like your doctor or your financial advisor or your landscaper. Those are good people to share this podcast with, particularly nervous landscapers. I really think that a nervous landscaper in your life needs to hear this episode. Regardless, I thank you for listening all the way to the end. You have no idea how special you are to us here at Basic Folk. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Bye.